From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm, Neil McCready, Clark Ford Studio this morning. Jared Duke, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, will join us here in a uh, little bit on the show that's brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon. Again, Highway 6 West. You uh, use your SpeedPass Plus app. It's a good way to uh, take care of your fuel purchase without uh, touching too many things, being as safe as possible in the climate we have going on uh, right now, and as well as next door, the Oxford Crystal. Go check them out. Use their uh, use their drive through. Also, when you get up to the uh, the window, you can put your name in a fishbowl at any of the Crystal Water Combo locations across the state of Mississippi. And on April twenty seventh, they will draw out a winner from each location. That person receives free crystal for a year there with the uh, the Oxford Crystal. And then Water Combo has also been feeding first responders every Friday and trying to do some work in the community as well. And again, we're coming to you from Clark Ford Studio. We are Clark Fords in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call the number, ask for Corey Clark, and uh, tell Corey what Ford product you're interested in. They'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Here's what makes them really good. Uh, just yesterday, uh, Laura's car and Explorer needed to be serviced, and um, they came, got it, took it to Amory, serviced it, rotated the tires, all that stuff, brought it back. She didn't have to get out and do all the – Worry about the social distancing and all that stuff. They take care of it for you. Corey wants to be your car guy and he wants to be a truck guy, and that's kind of what he means. He'll do that for you, too. 662-257-1900. Jared Duke, other guests, join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Uh, I talked to the people at Rafters last night, so we'll have a little bit of a little bit of news coming from them here pretty soon. Just remember when this is over and we get back to something resembling normal, uh, Rafters is... Uh, be a great place for you to go, hang out, enjoy um, reuniting with friends and that kind of thing. And then uh, they have the Sunday brunch, also bluegrass brunch every Sunday once things get back to normal, 1045. Uh, Bloody Mary's, mimosas, chicken and waffles, all of that stuff there at Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. So we'll talk to Jared here in a little bit. Uh, first segment, though, we're getting to a bit of a um, it's, it's a news night. Major League Baseball potentially having some uh, some plans for restarting its season. Uh, we're we're getting to a bit of a Thunderdome portion of uh, this quarantine here is pretty uh, pretty crazy stuff. Baseball's throwing at us as a possibility yeah. here, um, as well as uh, I see on TMZ that Dana White of the UFC says he's just found a way to throw fights on an island here coming up uh, soon. Um, we're going to talk about this less, but I did think it was at least worth the. I think uh, Dana's the, uh, deal actually makes more sense than the baseball. It does thing. make more sense. It's just crazier. Um, he says he's securing a private island for UFC fights that have fights every week. Says that uh, he'd like to start this with uh, UFC 249 on April the 18th. They haven't named a location yet, but he wanted to use the venue for two months, um, finding pumping fights out every week per TMZ. Then he said he's planning to move the octagon uh, to the island where he'll set up shop and host fights involving massive international fighters. 
said that it's not done yet, but it is very close. And the UFC 249 card uh, includes one Greg Hardy as well. So uh, just reading through the uh, the list of uh, news there from uh, from Mr. White. I mean, yeah, it you're dealing with fewer people. It's they're they're typically pretty creative for all the kind of the jokes. Um, we'll see. I don't. Well, know and it's a short term deal. Fights one day. The the Major League Baseball plan to to essentially take all of the players out into the desert, lock them up for four and a half months, separated from their families, is senseless. But the players' associations in on this potentially? I don't think so. I've read some player, players that I follow on on Twitter have highlighted that portion and said, "No, that's the deal breaker." I mean, look, there's there's. I know my takes on this are not popular. I get it. I, I lo- the way that I love baseball the way most of you all love college football. I miss it. It's a part of my daily existence for six months every year. I like it. I don't like it that much. I don't like it so much that I want – these are young people. Uh, and, and, and there's people on Twitter that are like, well, you know, this is – they don't want to get paid. This is not what you sign up for when you sign a Major League Baseball contract. You don't sign up for this. You don't sign up for four and a half months quarantined away from your families. I can think of two players right now that have wives that are that are expecting children quickly. Uh, Chris Bryant of the Cubs, Mike Trout of the Angels. You're you're asking them. Don't you you can't go back for the birth. You can't be with your with your young family. That that's not realistic. That's that that is not. If that's what it takes to play baseball, and I know what I'm about to say is not popular, if that's what it takes to play baseball safely, then we just aren't ready to play baseball yet. My opinion. Yeah, it's there. There, there are parts of this that I just haven't have a really hard time wrapping my mind around. Um, this, 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 this talks about a May, a May return date um, potentially. Um, Getting them in camp in May and starting yeah. around June first with all 30 teams in the Phoenix area. Essentially saying that MLB players are low-risk candidates for COVID-19 and that putting them all in one spot would be relatively safe uh, according to health organizations or whomever they talk to here. No fans in the stands, no dugouts. Players would sit in the stands separated. Correct. Oh, there's a lot of stuff here. I mean, it's it's seven-inning doubleheaders, electronic umps. Um, Like I said, they essentially sit in a biodome, if you will, for my – no mound visits from the catcher or the pitching coach. Um, regular use of on-field microphones by players is an added bonus for TV viewers. Again, sitting in the stands six feet apart to do a social distancing thing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, and I, I get the people that I do. I understand. Everybody misses sports. It's been three and a half weeks now without sports. People miss sports. I understand. You, we don't miss it that much. That's that's you you, you don't. You don't really want players to do that. Yeah, optically, it makes me very uncomfortable. Um, just watching that. I mean, you know, it's 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 a lot of like right now. You know, you see the, the they've they've come out with saying, "Hey, you you know, we talked about this yesterday. You should wear a mask everywhere you go in public." Right now, I mean, just viscerally, that's a that's a tough thing to see if you go out. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm I'm. It's a. There's some mental hurdles at this point of this that are going to be very difficult for a lot of people. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm yeah, I just know. don't – I mean, at this point, from the sounds of that, we're just not ready for that yet. So just wait. I'm, I'm of the opinion if you can play the seasons in the respective towns, 
you can start the seasons without fans in the stands. That's fine. That's fine. But until you can let the players go home to their families, come back to the park the next day, until teams can stay in hotels, until you can do some things that resemble something normal, it's not time for it yet. And I know that's I know that's not a popular take with hardcore sports fan. I get it. I don't think it's unpopular with the population from a take. No, no, no. Right, but though. but you can look at Twitter, and I did last. Well, but, night. Whoa, 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 whoa! I can look I at Twitter. That's not really representative. But, the, but of it is pretty representative, Chase, of hardcore sports fan. But that we don't give a shit about them, fan. though. Who cares? I know, I, mean, I know. That's what I'm saying. But the people that are doing this, like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's have sports back. We don't want sports back that much. To where people can't be human. Where you're taking players, people say, well, you know, people in the military, yeah, well, when you join the military, you sign up for that. When you sign a baseball contract, you don't sign up for five months in the desert. Mm -hmm. That's not what you signed up for. It's not really an aside, just kind of a question. Maybe the answer is you get a vaccine, I don't know. But I hear everybody going, hey, we get back to normal life. I I think Fossey mentioned this to some extent. When this thing is eradicated or at zero, well, that's never going to happen. No, I, 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 I wonder what the bar is on. And again, I'm not an expert. I don't nobody take this the wrong way. What is an acceptable rate where we have a society? Because this thing is never going to zero. No, uh, uh-uh. if that's the case, then no, nothing's ever coming back. I think it's from the sounds of it, we're headed in this direction pretty fast. I mean. Most parts of the country have. I mean, I saw pictures of Chicago yesterday. There's no one on the streets on Michigan. The coyote Avenue. running down Michigan Avenue. In yeah, a I mean, you know, we cases are down. The social distancing has worked. Um, they're working on treatments. They're working on antibody treatments. They've, to the president's everlasting credit, he has eliminated. He and his administration have eliminated a lot of red tape. They're moving quickly in that direction. I think the the big steps are you find something that's a that's a consistent treatment that that negates or or lessens symptoms. Right. You uh you you we've got to get to a place where you can have rapid testing, similar to what they have in South Korea right now, where you can test everyone. And um, the great thing would be an antibody test. Where you know, okay, you've had it. You you are at a, a far less risk of getting it again because you have immunity. I think when you can get all of that information out there, and again, I'm not an epidemiologist at, at all, but if you can get all of that information out there, you can begin to move forward. Um, I I get that baseball wants to play. I want baseball to play. I I just but if it's not baseball, then don't play. Wait till you can play. And look, there's a chance with these spring sports, the NBA, the NHL, baseball to some degree, there's a chance those sports are just going to miss a year or they're not going to finish their seasons. It it just kind of is what it is. I mean, I'm still really fascinated with what the fall looks like. I'm not the pace we're on. I think we're going to be okay. But I'm fascinated with what the fall looks like when medical people are faced with the question from, media is it quote safe end quote for us to pack this stadium 
Well, I mean, I think on we're Saturday still, or Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I think our number one view is not even our own country. I think our number one view right now. You know, we, we, we everybody knows South Korea has done a pretty good job with this thing throughout. They're having their opening day in late April. Let's see what happens when they do it. We got yeah. time to watch them a little bit, yeah. see how it goes. If it works well, then you go okay. There's a there's some path or at least some information we don't currently have that we can use here because look that's why well there's a lot of reasons why there's politics there's a lot of stuff here but that's one of the reasons why everybody's all over the place you got a lot of smart people that don't agree and it's because the data sucks we don't have enough data right now for any real answers to anything well and it's a new virus yeah they're still learning about the virus not the politics of the virus (laughs) the virus they're still learning about what it does i think I think it does something different than what people originally thought that it would do. So they're learning different ways to test it. They're learning about symptoms, all those things. They're still figuring it out. Like you said, smart people. I mean, confirmed cases is a very important stat, but there's still experts here that aren't sure on the actual case number within millions of each other. Right. I mean, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, no I mean, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched literally about two minutes of it yesterday, but I thought I heard Fauci say he thinks – and he's and he made the point. He goes, "This is me guessing. I don't have any data to support this. This is my guess." Uh, he thinks twenty five to forty percent of the population has been exposed to it, but he said, "I don't know that number. I couldn't put a science number on that." He answered a question with an opinion. And I'm sure they got taken completely in context by everyone. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I don't. You know, I've quit. I've quit kind of watching the whole news part of it at all. Just, you know, but I, I read passing story. I, I, I know that he's one of the two or three very best major league baseball writers in the country. And so he talked to a lot of people and I'm sure this is being talked about, but if you, if you parsed his words carefully, he brought up a lot of people around baseballs very clearly saying, I don't know. Well, and said it's only one of several options. Yeah. Just looking at stuff, right? It's now. the one they keep bringing up because it's the one that, if you're going to quarantine them in one's place, Phoenix makes the most sense because of facilities. Phoenix doesn't make sense in June playing outdoor, in July playing outdoor baseball every day in July where the players 14 have, innings, where the players have to sit in the stands throughout the game. They can't even have the respite of a dugout with the shade i guess you could put coverings over them to some extent but i guess you could and at that point i just again i'm just back to at that point it's not really baseball at that point what are we what are we doing it for a lot of the teams that come from small markets would lose tons of money in this deal they'd have to pay more major league contracts because you'd have to have massively expanded rosters to get away with it because like i've said all along you got to have minor league baseball if you're going to play major league baseball. Well, they don't have minor league baseball, so they have to have an expanded roster so that if a player tests positive, he can go sit. A player gets hurt because people will get hurt. Um, what happens if a player finds out that his mom tested positive and is in the hospital? He's not going to want to stay there. He's going to want to leave and go be with his family. Um, you have to have expanded right what do you do with all those people i the more you pick that plan apart the more you go that's not going to happen <clears throat> yeah i don't I, I don't see it um i think you've got to get to a point of in the towns maybe without fans to have any shot of anything that's what but. i think too where it's more realistic and then you've got to figure out what you do 
baseballs, if, especially if they're trying to play this this long season, they're trying to squeeze 162 or 110 or whatever games in with double headers and such. You're going to have injuries. If you don't have a minor league system, you're going to have to have 40, 45 people, each organization prepared to play at all times to get through it. Just at this point today, I don't see a season starting before July one, August one, which is kind of what they talked about before. This feels, this feels like it's forced. Like, hey, we've got to get. It's back a rush the to field. be first, and it's a rush to maximize TV revenues. And I don't, yeah, and I don't know what was in that call the other day. Whether the government is saying we've got to get you guys back on the, and I have no idea. They might not have said that. I don't have any clue. But you know. It just Adam Silver was asked yesterday, the NBA commissioner, if he had any update, and he said in a short in a, a short answer, no. And he didn't think he would know anything more until May the first at the earliest. So you know, I know the NBA is still holding on to hope that they can do a playoff at some point in the summer, and they probably maybe can. That's a little smaller deal. That would be eight teams. 15-ish players per team, you'd have to change the format. But you Cut it in half? No, I mean, I mean, I mean 16 yeah. teams, I'm sorry. But you could get it down to eight fast where you got guys out of there. But no one knows the answers to what happens if a player tests positive. You know, you're, the Lakers have the playoffs going and LeBron and Anthony Davis test positive. Now what? Those are all things they have to address. You know, I mean, you either have to shut it down or you have to delay it for two weeks or you have to say, well, sorry, Lakers, play without them. Treat it like an injury almost, I guess. You know, and I, so I, that's all, you know, what do you do with all that? I don't know. I mean, again, my stance on this is until we're ready for sports, we just don't have sports. And I think we're heading in that direction. I just don't think we're ready for it yet. That's what it sounds like to me. No, oh, we're definitely forcing it. I mean, to some extent, we'll see what extent that is. I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm struggling a lot with, like I said, just what, what, what the baselines are that make things quote unquote safe. And I'm really using you know quotation marks as I say that. I don't know. It's I mean, a treatment. I, it's something that you can treat that you can when you recognize it. The first step that everyone agrees with this, you have to have widespread testing that's readily available. Where if you're going to play baseball and a member of the Cubs tests positive, you can test that organization in a same-day period yeah. and get the answers. And taking those tests aren't taking tests away from people who need to be tested in the Phoenix area who are just regular people who are sick. Well, you guess the thing, too. You can't have any flow. And I don't think there is. I think everybody's done a pretty good job, and I think we're starting to see a lot of progress in that direction. But you also can't have some flare-up in that area just in general with the population and then suddenly have all these baseball people that something happens and they need room, too, in the hospital, and we got all exactly. kinds of crap going on. Well, you know. Because you are stressing an area by doing this. Yeah, you're absolutely stressing an area, and all the people involved in these organizations are not 25-year-old fit men. Coaches, managers, broadcasters, uh, people around the team. A lot of those people are older people who probably have some underlying health conditions. Not everybody's Javi Baez out there. I mean, everybody in those organizations, there's older people. They're, they're, you'd have to have, you know, if you're going to quarantine them, you have to have people who cook for them. 
You have to have people who transport them. You have to have people who drive them from one ballpark to another. Uh, You'd have to have medical people that were out there to be with them if a player got hurt in a game. Well, those medical people are probably not 27-year-old marathon runners. They're older people. So it's to me, at this point, it just feels really forced. Maybe it won't feel forced by July the 1st. Maybe it won't feel forced by June the 1st. But today, on April the 7th, it feels kind of forced. It's not a negative toward Passan, but it's almost kind of like we had a big brainstorming session. We got a bunch of different options, and this is the one that had the most. They had the, had the quickest, and not really clickbait, but just that would draw the most attention and interest. Well, I'm going to go that direction. Oh, I see. I have a completely different take than that. Rob Manfred is known for being a trial balloon guy. Um, if you told me that a lot of this came right out of the commissioner's office with here's what they told us on Saturday, here are the conversations we had today, let's float this out there and see what the result what the what the let's see what the response is to it so that in the event that the response is bad, it won't be a reflection on me. That's kind of his style. It's not a bad tactic. Especially everybody having so many opinions and impossible. If you can get some free, if you get some free feedback without attaching your name to it, I mean, I have no doubt that on Saturday, not saying this happened, but if you told me this happened, I wouldn't be at all surprised. On Saturday, the people at the White House said, "You guys need to figure out a way, figure something out." And so on Monday morning, they started calling around, saying, "What can we do?" I know they've been brainstorming ideas for a while because the owners want to play games, the players want to play games. The only way the players get paid is to play the games. And, again, Arizona makes sense. You've got lots of nice ballparks out there. Those spring training ballparks are really nice. Um, The Diamondbacks have an indoor stadium there that's very nice in downtown Phoenix. Um, There's probably a ballpark or two in Tucson that you could use. Um, Having it there in Phoenix would allow the network people to get all set up and do their thing, but – those people, you'd have to have, if, if you're doing it, obviously you're doing it for television. So you have to have te- television crews. You have to have camera crews. It'd be the cameras, though. The talent would be remote, right? Kind of like ESPN does with basketball. When you put them somewhere else, probably and just have could, them do the Probably game could do that. You know, you'd have to decide what do you do with, with radio broadcast? Yeah. What do you do with, uh, you know, you have sideline reporters. You have to have camera people. Those cameras have to be manned by somebody. Those people are typically, I'm stereotyping here, but I kind of know what I'm talking about. Those people are typically not 27-year-old fit people. Mm-hmm. So, talk to Jared in one minute on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline. For the dude, I'll tell you about Community Mortgage, Oxford, Memphis, Siddow County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting processing is done in Memphis. They're getting local underwriting. Understand your market. A leader in condo financing, the float down option, and more with Jason. 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. We are also brought to you by Oxford University Bank, OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the comfort of home, all the benefits the big mega banks provide, all the technology and products you can want, all with the personal touch. When you call OUB, you speak directly with a live person, no 10 buttons to push, no five minutes to wait. They offer their customers Kasasa. It's the absolute best cash checking account. They also have a commercial checking account now paying 1% interest. As long as you keep $10,000 in the account, it comes with fully interactive online banking. They can set up any local deposit, any local business, I should say, to deposit checks from their office and not have to worry with coming to the bank daily to deposit those checks. To learn more about OUB, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662 
234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. We're also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan is the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. And we're brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. At some point, this uh, will pass. We'll get back to normal, and people are going to want to get out. They're going to want to get out of their houses, out of their towns, get a little uh, refresher from the quarantine. And I would suggest that if you start planning that, get in touch with John. He's part of Virtuoso. It's a worldwide network of travel partners that allows John to supply his clients with added values, unique benefits, simply not available to other travelers. Um, what you do is you give him a call, give him a budget, and give him some ideas, and then just give him some parameters, and uh, he'll come up with options that you will not find on your own. And no, you don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services. 901-494-3387 or send him an email at jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first booked trip. Just by telling John, you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. Podcast is brought to you by Visit Oxford. Visit OxfordMS.com. Go to their website. You see how to support Oxford during COVID-19. It's at the very top. Click on it, and you'll see uh, different options, including how to uh, support service industry employees at this time. That involves uh, the tip roulette we've talked about here on this, as far as you can uh, you can help out those people, as well as all your options for curbside and or delivery services for uh, restaurants and uh, other services offered, including a few retailers in some different areas. So uh, find that and more if you're looking for it at uh, visitoxfordms.com slash COVID-19 update. So that's that. Now we're going to go to uh, Jared Duke on the hotline. If you're in our live stream, just hang out one minute. And we'll be right back. Jared Duke joins us now on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Jared, um, welcome into the show. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So uh, before we get into like a trip down memory lane and all that, tell people uh, kind of where you are now, what you're doing. I know you've uh, you, you announced a big commitment the other day on social media. You, you didn't say <laughs> no interviews, so I went ahead and reached out. You, you said respect your decision. I respected it, but uh, you didn't say no interviews, which is a, a, a key mistake that has changed in recruiting since you came out in, what was that, 2010? Things have, things have changed now, man. you got to say hashtag no interviews or else it's it's a free-for-all right. with us media jackals. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm heading over to Pittsburgh, uh, uh, Chatham University, working my doctorate. Uh, like you said, uh, things have changed a lot. Um, I I didn't even have a Twitter, I'm pretty sure, back when I committed. Um, I guess it was just a little post on Facebook for me. So uh, I thought I was missing out. I thought we'd have a little fun. Um, reached out to my uh, my brother-in-law. He's a graphic designer. I was like, hey, you know those things, right? Let's, let's do one of those and have a little fun with it. Um, and uh, I guess I, I struck down the hat choosing ceremony. So that's one thing I, I missed out on. Chad might not even have a hat, right? What, what What's their mascot? <laughs> I've, I've Googled. Uh, it's, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it's I think it's a panther or a cougar or something along some kind of cat. Uh, but, yeah, um, uh, not, not real sure. I think they were up until 2014, all girls school. So. Uh, there was no football there for sure, but um, you know, uh, maybe maybe we start a program there. 
you're getting your uh, you're getting your doctorate in psychology. What's uh, what kind of led you down that path? Yeah, so um, man, really kind of a long story. Um, we got time. We're quarantined. If, if, yeah, we're all quarantined, so this this is perfect. Um, so when I was when I was playing, uh, did an old mess, uh, kind of. <clears throat> You know, if you followed my career at all, um, I had kind of a unique uh, setup. So that came in for that 2010 year, uh, started as a true freshman, coached not, played on that uh, Mazzoli team, and uh, had some kind of uh, early success there on. Um, and then there was a slump, and you, you guys didn't see me real, play real time until. Uh, my senior year in 2013. Um, <clears throat> and there, you know, there's a lot of reasons, uh, to, you know, to attribute to that, but, uh, I did have a lot of mental health uh, stuff going on. Um, there's some major depressive episodes, that kind of thing. And, um, kind of got out of that, got out of school, um, and then just realized, oh, there's there's a there's a role I can play in mental health. There's a, you know, um, I can help athletes, and maybe there's there's a world where um, there's this uh, kind of hybrid position where we can we can help the um, you know the mental side of sports and the performance and that kind of side of things, but also uh, be kind of clinically based in a good science. And uh, lo and behold, there was a thing that existed already called sports psychology. And uh, I thought, well, let's let's give this a try. And so um, applied up at Springfield College in Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, that's where I am now. I'm finishing up my master's in athletic counseling there. And uh, <clears throat> from there, I kind of uh, more of a generalistic, I guess, holistic uh approach to mental health kind of took took hold and um you know, i decided well i need to maybe go on with this and become the best clinician i can be and, and maybe um just become a psychologist which you know if you'd asked me when i was you know a freshman in college if, if that were ever in the cards for me to be looking at a doctor and I would have laughed at you for sure. But, <laughs> um, it's been a long road for sure. And, and, uh, an exciting one, but, uh, it's cool to, to be in this, this field that kind of passionate about for a good reason. Uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of clinicians get into it because they had a past in some form of mental health, uh, struggle or something along those lines. And, um, that's where you kind of find that energy. Yeah, there's there's a tremendous need for it in in the general population, in the sports population, the, the different people. You know, I mean, sometimes I think about it when we're covering college football, and you talked about your experience. You forget sometimes doing what we do, how young the people are, the the uh, the pressure that is that's on them, how a lot of them really are not. They're not prepared for that pressure. And then the one thing that I always think about for so many of these, especially elite players, when they get to uh, when they get to the college level, they've never really failed before, and suddenly failure happens, and and they're they're not prepared for it. That's exactly right. And then you um, 
I was actually, <laughs> this, this quarantine has given me a chance to kind of breathe a little bit, especially in grad school. And, um, I've actually picked up Call of Duty and I've played it a little bit. And uh I've I played with Justin Bell. You probably remember yeah, him. Yeah. Um, you know, awesome dude. Uh I played with him just last week and we were talking about this and you know, just talking about kind of the differences. Um, you know, I, I I'm the head counselor for um our Springfield college football team right now. And, um, <clears throat> just the differences that level, you know, obviously there's, there's plenty of struggles and, and, uh, uh, we've encountered a lot this year, just especially with the quarantine and everything, um, plenty of issues at that level, but kind of when you raise the stakes, the lights are a little brighter. Um, the money's definitely, uh, <laughs> a little more and, and those, those issues don't go away. And then you had, you add some new issues. And, uh, then, then we talk about athletic identity and how that's just kind of wrapped up into, um, everything they are and everything they do. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of issues kind of, um, built into going and, and becoming an elite athlete. And, uh, it doesn't stop when you stop playing your sport. That's sometimes when the issues begin. And then, you know, you, um, in some cases like my own, some uh, mental health kind of sets in uh, mental health issues. Uh, those kind of pathologies might set in in your late teens and early 20s. And so you've got guys who are um, just now leaving home. Uh, they're under all the lights, all this pressure, and uh, um, somehow we still expect them to perform like they're not those humans who are going through massive change and massive, you know, habit building and, and gray matter building periods of their life. I'm curious. You brought this up as kind of on a little different topic, but you talked about you know the the, the quarantine. I've something I've it, it, we is. It, Quarantine's new to us as journalists too. It's one of the things that I'm most fascinated in. You know, you played at, at the SEC level. You you never had a quarantine during your career. You always had off season programs. You were an offensive lineman. Uh, you know, I think you you if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you came in. You had to lose some weight. You always had you know had to battle to stay in shape and some of those things. If put yourself in in these guys' shoes like uh, these guys that are either coming into college as freshmen or they've been in college for a year or two all of a sudden they don't have access to their to their college strength program they don't have access to a, a strength and conditioning program especially from a lineman standpoint there's a part of me that really thinks if it's if if what i i believe happens happens which is a lot of these guys don't get to report until late july early august and they haven't really had the benefit of, of working out in any kind of supervised way, it's going to be a hot mess, isn't it, for a lot of these guys when they get here? There's really nothing they can do about it. Well, I think you're right. You know, when, it, when it comes to the new guys, for sure, that there's going to be a problem. Um, you know, when there's, when there's kind of this built-in accountability and you get a little older in your career, you kind of understand what a – what an off season should look like and the development should, that should take place in the off season. So, 
Um, but when you're new, you're, you're kind of going back to your regular summer and you're going back to your regular, um, you know, habits and, and maybe not working out as hard as, as, a your strength and conditioning coach could, could get you to work out. Um, so, you know, and especially for offensive line, there's, there's so much growth that needs to happen, um, in that summer, uh, building, building up to it, um, yeah, I absolutely have several concerns for that. Um, now, I do, I do. I've always, I've always said that um, you know, there's two kinds of stuff, shape when it comes to football. There's actual football shape and and uh, conditioning shape, and you know, <clears throat> I never got either one of those, but uh, <laughs> but the you know. I try my best anyway, but, um, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of shape you go into camp. Uh, it's just different. You're going to be broken down in a different way. Um, you know, so I, I think in terms of football shape, if there's a, if there's a camp that happens, um, you know, they, they, there might be less of an issue in terms of being in shape for the season. And, uh, you know, mentally being in shape for the season is, is kind of my concern because that summer's a grind, especially your, your first summer. Um, I think I, <laughs> I was, uh, Chase, Chase Hughes' roommate and, uh, he had, he had come a semester early his freshman year. Um, and he kind of had, he was in the, he was kind of a monster in the weight room anyway. He was always really, really good. And, uh, I was just trying to catch up my, my freshman summer. Um, I was, I, I would go home and I, I think I would sleep the entire weekend, uh, just being in my dorm and chase would kind of be like, dude, what is wrong with you? And I was like, well, what's wrong with you? How, how is this happening? How are you able to, you know, hang out and stuff? Like, I'm just, I'm just tired all the time. So there's a lot of development that first summer that needs to happen you know, both mentally and physically. And um, so it, it should be interesting. Uh, I'm really interested in what decision gets made uh, on behalf of the athletes. Um, and hopefully someone who understands, you know, I guess the mental side of things and, and how that can wear someone down, uh, you know, plays into that decision. Mentally and physically, I mean, in your mind, how long would a, a camp or a preseason be required or necessary to be able to, to, to be safe? I mean, or however word you want to put relative context on that. I mean, how, how long do you feel like it would take to be in, in, in position to play? Well, I know, I know everyone, every different coach has their different opinion for sure. Uh, you know, some coaches believe in the two-a-days and you have to go through that, and then some coaches want to keep you healthy. I guess that's kind of where your roster is too. So it's about keeping guys healthy and making sure, you know, they even make it to, to the first game. So um, it's going to be an interesting, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be an interesting thing. I, I, I think obviously uh, you need, you need to have your, your first, uh, your camp, your fall camp is going to be incredibly important. Um, and then, you know, it, it, everything, the whole summer is kind of a ramp-up program for camp to get ready for camp. So throughout the summer, you're you're kind of building that, um, I guess, that grind and everything, um, and it ends in camp. So, um, you know, it can't, can kind of be a, a 
grinding process itself when it comes to um you know having to it can it can kind of get get long and and seem unnecessary and then um also if you have a if you have an opponent like i think oldness has baylor coming up immediately you might want to spend some time actually installing for that team and that might be a part of of camp whereas if you have kind of a I guess a softer schedule in the beginning, um, you can kind of focus on those fundamentals and, and actually, uh, you know, just kind of grind for a while. Whereas, you know, you're shifting gears. If you're playing a hard schedule as, as old misses in the first uh, couple of weeks. So we'll see. Um, yeah, I think it's just up to each coach. Take a quick break in our talk with Jared to tell you about in-house interior and design. 662-681-6241 is the phone number. You can call them. You can text them. You talk about ideas for uh, when this thing does pass. You talk about uh, different available uh, discounts they have, including dorm room uh, appointments. They do things for new clients as well as uh, major uh, changes to your home from as far as full contractor crews available when that's uh, safe and can be done. So if you have some ideas, you're around the house right now a lot, maybe you see some things, give them a call, give them a text, figure out when they can do things for you. Again, 662-681-6241. If you were a player, how much, assuming that the season starts before there's a vaccine, how much would that be on your mind, if at all? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like there was enough, I don't know, chaos is kind of a big factor in this game. And um, I think that you you kind of prepare, prepare for chaos um, throughout the season and you're ready for changes and the coaches are kind of drilling that into your head. And this is kind of more of a, you know, they're, they're getting you ready for uh, chaos within the game, but this is more of a, I guess, a meta chaos <laughs> that's happening. And, um, so there's, there's no way to prepare for, I, I guess you would look at it as, as if you're preparing for a bowl game or not. Um, if you're going to keep on being, if you're going to have an opportunity to play, uh, you get ready for that no matter what. So I can see that happening. There's going to be, you know, if there's an opportunity to play whatsoever, um, you know, you prepare like there's going to be an opportunity to play. If there's not, then, you know, you prepare it and maybe you, you feel like you wasted your time a little bit. So, yeah, it, it's it's a weird transition here. But um, I don't know. I, I think I think hopefully uh, there's a number of case studies uh, that can be written about this, this upcoming season uh, just in the world of sports psychology alone. Uh, maybe I need to. I do need a dissertation topic, so maybe I need to <laughs> yeah, pay attention a little bit. Right? There might be there might be plenty available coming up here soon. Uh, let's take a little trip down Absolutely. memory lane. Yeah, uh, you played okay. on you played on some of the more fascinating Ole Miss teams. To me, not necessarily the best yeah. ones. You played on one of the absolute worst ones, but it was a fascinating time. Mm-hmm. Like you talk about a study in psychology. Uh, you were around two guys that. Especially the end of Houston Nut, the beginning of Hugh Freeze. There's a lot of psychology you could you could get into there. Yes. Before we get into eleven, because eleven's fascinating to me. I could write books about the 2011 season. Does we always say Masoli does not get enough credit for what he did in 2010? You, you were on that offensive line as a freshman. I'm sure you were swimming the whole time. But 
looking back on it, how much how much did Jeremiah Masoli cover up what was actually going on inside that program? Yeah, you talk about poise. I mean, that guy he just uh, he just had it. Um, when it comes to, I mean. Uh, so my first start was against Nick Fairley, and uh, I think the first play of the game, uh, yeah, I'm a little 18-year-old, and Nick Fairley's just a, a giant human being, and uh, had heard all about him on the radio and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I think my first play, I just, uh, he swims me immediately and uh, gets in with all his face. Uh, I, talked, and I, I talked to him after the play, and, Mazzoli's just as cool as can be, and he's just, uh, he's like, yeah, man, um, well, maybe, maybe do a little better next time. That's, uh, <laughs> that's cool. And, I mean, he, he somehow avoided the sack, uh, you know, and, and I always say, like, you know, my first start was against Nick Fairley. Uh, you know, he got one tackle for loss. I held him to one tackle. No, I didn't do any of that stuff. That was Jeremiah Mazzoli. <laughs> um, that was him just evading tackles and, and uh, being Jeremiah, I mean, it was just uh, he made he made my job incredibly easy, um, and that was just the the first thing I noticed. Like, oh, I don't, I don't know, I, I I can I can make mistakes here, and that helped as a freshman for sure because it took a little bit of the pressure off. But um, yeah, the fact that we were in some of the games that we were um, LSU that season, we were. I guess a play away from winning. Um, Arkansas some of those games, yeah, absolutely. Arkansas, yeah, Arkansas. That was uh, the rainy game for sure. That was. I think we had a couple different um, lightning. Uh, oh yeah, I remember that. There, that day was forever. That yeah. was miserable. <laughs> that was a long day. Yeah, I remember. Um, that's when I got thrown in for the first time. Um, and yeah, just stopping and starting, that was not a fun process whatsoever. But um yeah, Jeremiah was, was absolutely the X factor of that team. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um covered up a lot of flaws on that team. You mentioned two thousand eleven was a time that there was stuff going on for you personally that was impacting you mentally and stuff. So I, I don't know how dialed in you were to what was happening, but did you did you see that season unfolding the way that it did when it when it just completely went to hell? Were you were you at all surprised or were you like, yeah, this this has been coming for a while? Um, you started noticing it. Um, I I wouldn't say that it's something I I saw ahead of time. Like you said, yeah, I, was, I wasn't quite in touch with with the team that that well that year. Um, but at the same time, you get 12 chances, and you work really, really hard. Uh, and there's not a single day where your energy, either mentally or physically, doesn't go to those 12 chances. So going into it, you you kind of you go crazy if you didn't convince yourself that you weren't going to succeed. Um, so I, I don't think going into it, and I, I was definitely new to um, college football anyway. I um, being a player anyway, and I didn't I didn't quite see that coming whatsoever. Um, just based off of I you know 
I had to convince myself to to wake up every morning and actually uh, work towards something. So yeah. you, you can't convince yourself that <laughs> that it's not going to uh, be worth it. But um, it started falling apart as as you guys have documented for sure. Uh, it started falling apart, and uh, things got really weird. Um, you know, obviously when when you uh, hear those rumblings of this coach that has kind of brought you in and, and, you know, um, there's a certain amount of loyalty to, to coach Nutt. And obviously a lot has been said about coach, coach Nutt and, uh, very accurately been said about coach Nutt. Um, he's a character, but there's a certain amount of loyalty that you have to a guy who kind of brought you in. Sure. That's kind of a weird process, right? You're, you're, uh, you're navigating this and, um, you're losing, but you're also, uh, somewhat supportive of this guy that you've kind of trusted this whole time. So, um, you know, it was, it was just a really weird season. And then suddenly practice got a lot easier and, uh, things started mattering less when it came to <laughs> our actual performance. And, and, uh, by that, by that time we knew, okay, it's, it's pretty much over with. Yeah. yeah. That's what so I remember. At a, a new coach. What I remember about that season most, Jared, was that was back when we had a lot of access. And early in the year, Nut was just kind of – he was tight. And, and uh, he, was, he was almost looking to pick fights. I mean, his deal with me is pretty, pretty well documented. But it wasn't just me. He was always trying to kind of look – it felt like there was this, this – uh, just the atm- – it's hard for – people have asked me to describe it, and I can't. I can't describe how the atmosphere around the program – during the work week, during the, the the practice week, was just off. It was different. It was, yeah. it was, uh, it wasn't comfortable. I can remember having to like you talk about having to convince yourself to go to work. I can remember you know driving to practice, parking, and telling myself, "All right, this is your job. Go do it." And and it was just a, there was an, an an odd environment to it. And then, as you said, about middle of October, when the writing was on the wall, there was a a sea change to just it went from being tight to not being tight it was just a go through that 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 team went through the motions for the better part of half of a season in in a way that i had never seen before yeah yeah and i you know now that now you're bringing it up i I do remember a few different things um there towards the end of 2010 i think there started becoming um a bit of a substance issue on the, on the team. Um, when it comes to substance use and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, there was, I think everyone, it's become a punchline now, but, uh, there was this, this sense of, uh, mistrust on the team between the coach and, and the players and, um, you know, some of the staff and players and, you know, so there was this kind of, yeah, I mean, I you definitely describe it. Um, there was a tightness when it came to um, to that, and I, I fully attribute that to obviously uh, the talent wasn't quite where it, it was in two thousand nine or two thousand eight, um, and then there's just this this air of mistrust, and and uh, you know, it's just not a a pretty toxic. Um, that's you know, a good word kind of set up there so uh yeah it, it's, it's kind of a rough time for everyone so when freeze comes in totally different guy totally different environment he, he 
he made a very conscious effort from just minute one to completely flip the script. I know you were, like you said, you were going through a, diff- a different time in your life, but what do you remember about just the, the early days of, of Hugh Freeze and kind of, it was a team, like you said, it was a team that had lost a lot of trust in the people that were running the program and stuff. How long did it take for, for Freeze to kind of get some of that trust back? Yeah, um, well, my, my first uh, my first thought around Freeze was I heard him say something along the lines of basketball on grass. And uh, I was already pretty heavy in that time. And I was <laughs> like, well, uh-oh, this isn't good. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to have to do some running, uh, I think. So <laughs> so that was my initial reaction. But, um, yeah, there, there definitely was this kind of weird energy um, that, you know, we, we, we bought in pretty quickly. Um we kind of, uh, I don't know. There's this this new style of offense that was quicker and and um, a little more explosive, and you know, kind of gave us the edge over some of the you know the big hog mollies of Alabama. Um, those those type of teams that just had these these giants on their defense, and we it, it allowed us to move a little quicker and and get the uh, kind of the conditioning edge on that team. So. Um, and then speaking of strength and conditioning, um, there was just a, <laughs> there was just a kind of a newfound love for being in the weight room around that season. And, uh, I definitely, I attribute that to Paul Jackson, 100%. Um, what he brought in the energy he brought the kind of, you know, the hard truth that he brought to everything and, and, um, kind of this new love for, for the weight room and everyone kind of bought in immediately. Um, and I, I think, I think the power of a good strength trainer kind of goes on notice sometimes, uh, when it comes to creating this kind of energy and this kind of momentum, because, you know, we see those guys, we, not me, but the players, uh, see those guys, way more than any of the coaches and we're they're involved in, in your everyday life pretty much. And so I remember around that time, Paul Jackson being just a force in the weight room and absolutely um, kind of just uh, changing the way we looked at, at, at our situation, the way we looked at um, getting better and success. So, uh, you know, I attribute a lot of that to, to Paul Jackson and coach freeze kind of brought in this new philosophy and, um, uh, you know, from the top down, it was different. And uh, that was exciting because we had done a lot of losing and, and had a lot of really, a lot of anger on the team. And, and like I said, mistrust and that kind of thing. What do you remember from the Egg Bowl in 12? I mean, a game that obviously you get to a bowl, you're able to, to I, I think in some ways it kind of cemented what class was coming to from a recruiting standpoint, just because they saw, hey, there, there there is this real movement that's in a tangible way from a bowl game. Well, it, it was, you know, I, I think Coach coach had his, his kind of uh, marquee uh, speech before that before yeah. that game, and, and uh, I do remember that specifically. Um there was this moment of, of you know, we got to get over this hump. We got to get through state, and uh, that's just something that that has to happen in this program um, for us to even, you know, I guess sell to other 
recruits and try to bring on some more talent because that's one thing we knew we knew we needed more talent for sure and we, we knew they were going to need some we're going to need some tools to actually succeed um and yeah you i think you're exactly right chase like there was just this this uh i don't know this contingent point that night where you know we had to get into a bowl game we were desperate to get in a bowl game as a team um just after sitting out the first two seasons and uh, <clears throat> being able to get to that bowl game that night meant that we could uh, get a chance to in Birmingham. Birmingham's really nice, uh, <laughs> but we were, we were really <laughs> pumped to, <laughs> to play in Legion Field, but, but that was the thing. I mean, yeah. even if it meant going to Birmingham or, you know, um, wherever it might be, Memphis, um, it was a chance to actually be on the map a little bit and uh, show, hey, we have a pulse, and this is this is a statement that we can make, you know. Given what happened, the way twelve ended, and the way you guys went into thirteen, and the recruiting class, and all of that stuff, you had to feel like you were finishing up your career at a time in a program that was like really on the rise. I mean, you, that, I'm, I suspect there was like you could sense inside the program there was real momentum at that point. Did you even? Were you even cognizant at that point of kind of the NCAA thing beginning to bubble? <laughs> uh, yes. So that, that, <laughs> there was um, obviously the 2013 recruiting class was a little weird. Uh, we we're like, okay, well, how, how did we get all that? And, you know, <laughs> for the most part, for the most part, we're kept in the, in the dark about this stuff. You know, I was, I was definitely, uh, I was a three-star offensive lineman from East Tennessee. Like I, I, uh, <laughs> I wasn't someone who was, um, you know, kind of coaxed into to oldness. I, I, I had a dream, and and uh, you know, uh, you didn't have to sell me too hard on being able to to play at a school like that. And um, so I, I was. I guess my head was a little bit in the sand when it came to that stuff, but. Um, they started, I, I remember they started uh, kind of poking their heads up a little bit. Um, the, the NCAA did uh, my senior year, and they started kind of interviewing some teammates. Um, you know, and it, it was, it was. I remember it was specifically about uh, that visit, kind of that monster visit where um, I think, let's see, the offensive line, we, we had – we had Robert Conyers in. We had, uh, I guess, Laramie was there. Um, a couple the, different guys. The kid that the and, kid that uh, started at Ole Miss and went to Auburn. Um, uh, what's his name? Which one? The great. He went to Auburn. Oh, Austin. Austin. Yeah, Golson. yeah. Golson, his grandmother yeah, got grandmother Austin got Golson. sick. Yeah, yep, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> so we had a couple of those those guys in, and and so that was the I think that was the moment where okay, so they don't they don't really believe that, that we did this legitimately and uh, that could be a problem. But, um, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't really, uh, you know, uh, that wasn't within my, my uh, job description to, to worry about those things usually. So I didn't really <laughs> pay attention to all that for the most part. We uh we always kind of laugh about it first day seeing him or whatever. What 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 is the reaction when you see Laramie in person? You go, oh, that's that's a little different than what we've what, what we're doing over here. 
Oh, I, I was frustrated. Um, I, I was a senior. I'd worked at this my entire life. Uh, and then I, I remember it specifically, uh, he was doing sets on the field, um, on the, in the ITF or Manning center now. Um, and I watched him, I don't know who he was going against, but I was like, that's, that's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this guy's different, uh, completely. And, uh, he, just the way, like, you know, the way he took his set was just like, it just looked easier than anything I'd ever done on a field. And, um, so my first, my first, um, my first reaction was a little, I guess, jealousy. And I was just like, man, this, this freshman just came in here and he's better than I'll ever even dream of being. Um, and then finally, I was like, oh, well, he, he is on my team. So that's kind of cool. And then my my senior year, I got to play next to him, uh, uh, to start there next to him. And, man, that was uh, – he made things a lot easier, even as a 18-year-old, uh, surprisingly. I mean, this guy was so just gifted. Um, we would do, you know, different switches and stuff like that. And, it, you know, it was like – driving a sports car it was it was just <laughs> really really nice to have him there on my hip for sure he was always kind of quiet and and, and and thoughtful with us but we didn't talk to him much they didn't really allow that but Free, um, freeze was afraid we were going to ask laramie about recruiting yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. we never talked to him <laughs> what, 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 what is what is his personality though i mean what's he like in the locker room and just in general is that is, is that is that right or is he a little louder than we give him credit for oh no no um i remember always kind of joking around with him because like I said, I, I, we all saw it. we all, you know, we watched him set and we're like, wow, I think several of us were watching him do his pass sets for the first time. And just like, wow, this is, this is something right here. And then, you know, and I, I can't speak for him now. I haven't, I haven't talked to him for a while, uh, but he just had this kind of humility and the spirit of humility and, um, really humble kind of soft-spoken guy and uh i used to kind of uh i don't know not not haze him a little bit but kind of um just talk to him and, and joke with him like laramie you got to be humble man i know you're good but you gotta you gotta chill out man a little humility would be great and uh you know he that was kind of a bit i did with him a lot and you know of course he's he never, never uh, showed any kind of ego whatsoever. So, um, just all around good dude, and um, I'm happy for him. It looks like he's he's still doing pretty well in the NFL. <laughs> he's looking at a pretty big contract coming up, so I'm I'm really happy for the guy. Um, but he was, yeah, he was all around just just kind of a quiet, humble dude, and um, obviously really impressive on the field. Last couple of things was the highlight for you the LSU win that senior year. Um, I, I'd have to say so. Yeah, I mean it was it was uh, hard to be. Of course, um, there were a few distractions after that game that were uh, <laughs> well highlighted for me. Uh, that oh, the followed me everywhere I've gone. Dumping the cooler. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that game was. You guys basically yeah, were trying to be so. nice, right? I mean, you knew where Freeze was. You 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 didn't want to ruin the cameras and stuff. Is that what you you guys were thinking? 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that that's what ESPN they they actually showed this um, SEC Network their Instagram. I got tagged on. I didn't follow them, but I got tagged on it. They they showed that clip the other day on their uh, Instagram account, and I had fun reading the comments there. But um, you know, <laughs> they uh, we we saw them almost immediately. We we ran out there. Um, the thing was, we were, we were going to do it a little earlier, and then our trainer uh, made us, because we had a, a bucket of water, actually, and apparently in the, the Gatorade contracts, you're not allowed to do that. You're supposed to have one of the colors of Gatorade um, to dump the coach in. So they called us back, and they made us get a Gatorade container together. Um, so we put we put... Uh, two Gatorade containers in the one so we even had enough liquid and then we went out and we we did miss him at first we didn't know where he went and uh then all of a sudden we saw him immediately and then yeah he's he's surrounded by cameras and uh we're like all right we gotta hold hold off on this (laughs) you know those cameras are pretty nice his wife is there uh, I don't think he's going to like it if we dump his wife with, with water. I don't think his wife's going to like that. That's typically not a good thing to do. Um, so I was like, all right, Junin, let's, let's kind of uh, <laughs> hide it, I guess. And they took, they took that shot uh, later on. They took that shot of us hiding the Gatorade container facing away from the coach. And uh, they're like, oh, well, they never found him. But uh, so, yeah, that one's stuck with me a good while for sure <laughs> well listen we really uh I, I kept you about double the amount of time that i said i would so i really appreciate the generosity of your time no good worries. good luck to you with the uh with the quarantine and with your uh with your doctorate and we, we hope to stay in touch i think he uh went away anyway jared i uh, appreciate his uh his time today on uh on the show a lot of stuff there yeah we could uh we could do days of, of 2011, 2012. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, it, it, believe it or not, that's the, the one year when people say if you ever wrote a book. 12, the, the, 11. 11 would be the year I'd write a book about. Absolutely fascinating. Do people buy books about bad seasons? I think if you could get in. It's not and, exactly season on, a brain, on the brain. No, no, no. If you could get in and talk to the people and really get. You'd have to dive Sorry, into. Sorry, Feldman some, did accidentally, but um, yeah, you'd have to talk about some of the things that he just mentioned. The, 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 there was a substance abuse thing. There was a paranoia. To me, that's more interesting than motivational coach comes in. Maybe it's my personality. Motivational coach comes in and they rise like a zenith. Because mm-hmm. in many ways, that's how Nut started his time at Ole Miss was oh, with a team that completely distrusted, but he had this talent. And he got them to play hard, and he got them to believe they could win. And then, as soon as they did, the whole thing shifted. Yeah, I've got a thought on that. We'll come at it in one second. First, tell you about Tyson Drugs and G and M Pharmacy, G and M right there on South Lamar in Oxford. But the more important thing right now, they deliver locally in the Oxford area to your home or workplace. They will, uh, they will take care of you. Sorry, volume's a little down there. Um, <clears throat> so they deliver local. They offer MedSync where they fill your prescriptions the same day every single month to uh, make your. Uh, your trips as minimal as possible to find out more 662-236-2222 
We're also brought to you by Dead Soxy. I'm going to kind of stumble through this reader because there's a lot here. They're doing a lot of new things. We're going to talk to uh, Jason Simmons of Dead Soxy next week about some stuff that they have coming. But right now, they, they have a referral program in place. It's kind of the next step of their support sale. Uh, you you give um, <clears throat> you if you uh, refer someone to Dead Soxy, you'll send them. They'll get they'll copy your uh, personal referral code. You send it to friends and family via email, text, social. For every new customer that uh, you produce for Dead Soxy, you'll both get ten dollars. You can earn freebie socks for life because there's no limit on how many you can earn. You just share your link and collect the rewards. It's people helping people, and that's. Uh, how we all should be doing right now, and Dead Soxy is doing it. It's deadsoxy.com. We'll have more details on that as um, the days go on. We're uh, also brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. I'll be taping a mind on my money podcast a little later this morning. It's brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Uh, Pinnacle Trust based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got <clears throat> clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. They provide detailed specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. It's Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N-Trust.com. Mention that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You get 10% off your first year's fees. We're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with a Nest and Wild mattress. Nest and Wild is a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last. A lot of online brands sell an 8-inch or a 10-inch mattress, but not Nest and Wild. From the twin to the California king, every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, 100% American made. The pricing is uh, super competitive, and we'll make it even better with a podcast discount. You tell the people at Nest and Wild that you heard about um, Nest and Wild on the podcast by entering the promo code REBEL20, REBEL20. You'll get 20% off your purchase and your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. Podcast is brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are still open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. You also have 24-hour access to appointments, 662-767-4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome at both locations. Yeah, you know... <laughs> It's always. I mean, By the way, Jared wanted me to tell you and me that his his headphones died there oh. at the very end, so he didn't get a chance to Timing say, was say good. goodbye. Yeah, we timed it perfectly. That was good. Uh, you know, it's it's like with anything: redemption, human experience, going through things. That's what's interesting. Hey, best team wins game. Okay, great, whatever. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I don't care. I mean, you know, meteoric rise. I mean, if you're writing a Hugh Freeze book. Oh, you can't just write about twelve and thirteen. We've got a lot of stuff here we gotta unpack. We gotta get through. We gotta go through it. You know, and for for the book, you need you need difficulty, you need redemption in some extent. You need a lot of stuff there. I mean, you know, it's it's like I was listening to um listen to, and I know I'm mentioning golf podcast every day, but I got a point. I was listening to Shane Bacon, he does podcast all the clubhouse, and he had on Michael Bamberger, who's an author, um, golf writer, and he finished a book called The Second Life of Tiger Woods. And it's basically about they they wrote a a book 
a few years ago. I think it's just called Tiger Woods or something like that. But it's the kind of the the main hey biography. It was Armin Katayan and somebody else and said, hey, here's his life to this point. Well, this kind of picks it up from there, and it's how he picked his life back up from the shambles. How it you know he ends up winning the Masters in nineteen. But Bamberger was funny, and he goes, nobody believed me. I wasn't rooting for him to win, and. They go, why? Because that's the best thing for your book. And he goes, yes, it's absolutely the best thing for my book that Tiger Woods wins the 2019 Masters. But he goes, I was rooting for Molinari. He goes, because we're trying to learn about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is the number one or number two best golfer of, in, in, of all time, depending on how you want to rate Jack Nicklaus. He's, this doesn't change his legacy because he won the 2019 Masters. He goes, we would have learned so much more from Tiger Woods about Tiger Woods had he lost that tournament. Had he lost the 2019 Masters? Had he he gotten back to the mountaintop, but he didn't pull it off? He didn't come away with that heroes thing. He didn't get the 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 symmetry of hugging his son like he hugged his dad back in '97. He goes, the more interesting story was a loss. He goes, he goes, and it's nothing. It's Tiger. I love Tiger, but I was rooting for interesting. And he goes, that's how I saw that. Is, is, is that is that, yeah, that I can see played that. out? I can see that. the The Hollywood ending, the Cinderella ending, is always simple. The fairy tale ending. Much more complicated. A ending that's... Well, because I, I think what it would have shown you was, you know, look, Tiger's competitive. He Obviously, maybe as competitive as any golfer in history. It wasn't changing his life, though. His life was good. His life was yeah. going to be fine. He was going to he was gonna walk off the green and hug Charlie whether he won or lost that golf tournament, and he was going to move on with his day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that a past Tiger Woods wouldn't have done. It's the... When people ask me about, about 11, I always tell them that it's hard to... It's so hard to describe what that atmosphere was like. And, you know, and I, I try not to make it about me, but I mean, you know, you see things from your perspective, you see things from your eyes. I knew early in that season that deal was weird. And we were trying as a, as a site, uh, you know, Stephen Willis was with us at that sure. time. We were really trying to add a lot of video. We probably needed them to be good. We were trying to kind of almost push them to be good and I'd watch them and go man they're just not good up front and I'd covered enough SEC football to go that's not gonna work no there's sometimes you can sit in camp and go whoa yeah there's a difference it, you don't right. always you can't always do it the, the, the middle road teams I don't know they run together but if they're really good or really bad you go I don't know well yeah like in 12 you know you're like well they're still not very good up front but the quarterback's if better if they could stay healthy yeah and they, and like, they got this and they got this and 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 that that uh that eleven team you're like they don't they're bad they don't have a quarterback it's last year without Jeremiah yeah there's no quarterback they're not good up front well like the fact that you know a Jared Duke at Auburn has to go play mm-hmm. hey here you why are you playing because I'm the only healthy body well it was one of those two years it might have been ten it was. I mean, and Jared just mentioned all of them on the podcast. I think there was a three or four week period there where Patrick Junin, Chase Hughes, and Jared Duke all started games. Yeah, or played in games. It was like we're just rotating freshmen at this point. That's all. That's all you're doing. Well, we were talking to Mike Marcuson all the time, and you know, you look back and I can remember thinking it, but man, I was still so new here, and the dynamics were so weird, and I just, you know, people were still on me about being negative and all that stuff, and but I remember thinking. Did y'all not recruit offensive linemen? And I remember thinking, I'll never forget it, thinking to myself, actually talking to someone back in Alabama, and I told him, I said, man, if I were covering Auburn right now, I would be writing a column or or a story about offensive line recruiting failure. If I do that here, I can't feed my family. And and so, you know, I, I didn't do it. 
but you saw it happening. And then in 11, when it all began to fall apart so fast, really that week of the Vanderbilt game, and in the days after that, that Vanderbilt game was so bad from an optic standpoint, watching it on the field, that even the biggest Ole Miss fan, even the person who's who, – I'm not talking about any one particular person in, in general. Even the most optimistic red and blue, you knew what you were seeing. And there was no escaping it. And I went and got that quote from Pete Boone. Boone. Well, that, that was my point. Pete Boone, who typically is not going to give the media much, very, hey, let's wait and see. Unacceptable. Yeah. That was the word. Unacceptable. Because, again, if you had watched the game. You just saw it. You knew it. Yeah. You knew there was no coming back from that. Because he was standing in that open area down there stewing, basically, for the fourth quarter going. Yeah, and I just – I can remember saying, I'm going to go ask him. Expecting to get nothing – but I got something. And then I yeah. followed up and, you know, I can't remember what else he said, but that one word was there. Well, and then we I asked the Houston, next, I yeah. asked Houston that, and he didn't like it and he was pissed. And, and that, that was, he never liked me. Anyway. That was the last confrontation. And that was the last straw. Yeah. At that point he decided that I was public enemy. And so I showed up at practice the next Monday and guys on that staff who normally would speak That's right. would not speak. And they came back later and told me it was because they were told they couldn't. It went from there to when it was just completely over at Kentucky where he finally used your name for the first time. He used my name for the first time. Yeah. Unbelievable. The only other times he would use my name would be if he called me about something. Because obviously, you know. Well, recruiting, he wanted stars at the end of the cycle. Yeah, hey, what, he do, would, what do I have to do? Look, to, there's a method to this. Houston would call, like, say, signing day is February 4th. He'd call, like, January 30th and go, hey, I need whatever. And it's like. It's what, just, can, what can I do to get into the top 20 yeah, like or whatever? Houston. I'm like, man. I don't, nothing I mean, now. Nothing. It's over. I mean, it's done. Yeah. The hay is in the barn. And he would get frustrated because I think with other people, he had a different level of pull. And. Well, but to Rivals' credit, we switch things at in, at intervals. We don't yeah. just move guys right. up and down throughout the year. And if you're past that point, you're 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 past that point. Um, but that would be the that would be the fascinating thing. And to do it well, I'd have to sit down. And this is why I don't think it'll ever happen. I know it won't. I'd have to sit down for hours mm-hmm. with Houston Nutt. Yeah, and have a real Filter meaningful everything. conversation where we talked about things. That would actually be fascinating. In, in fact, people ask me sometimes, what's the one interview professionally you'd like to have? You think that's it? It might be that one. Really? But a candid one. Not, not, and not to beat him up, but to wonder where, because he would tell you, and I think there's some truth to it, he would tell you that he never felt like he had the full support of the athletic department. He never felt like Boone was completely on his side. He never felt like he really had the resources necessary to to get it done here, and and, you know, and it's certainly possible that he didn't. I don't. Well, whoever's fault it is, I don't think he ever believed he could win big here. Right. I think he thought those Cotton Bowl years were sort of maxes for him, in some way. He probably would tell you if he were being completely honest that he would have benefited from a year off after Arkansas. He was tired after Arkansas. He had that first kind of second win year where he did a pretty good job of getting them back into everything in 08, and then he got tired. Well, he was motivated. He wanted yeah. to show Arkansas, and he did. Yeah. 
but then he had to go recruit, and I don't know that they had the energy to go recruit because he gets point. you know I mean obviously look they were much more talented they should have won the game but those South Carolina Wake Forest games they lose that year in 08. Vanderbilt too yeah yeah he was building his team up from nothing from yeah. a psyche standpoint though I have a hard time getting on him for that yeah no I I, I don't blame him yeah. for that and if anything I defend him for that yeah uh, people talk about how they lose those games like you don't understand the psyche of that no. team. They were as beaten down as any group I've ever seen in my life. Didn't, in and they sport. didn't trust. No. You know, I mean, I can remember that. I've talked about it before, that Parade Jerry speech late in fall camp right. that year with, you know, damn it, you guys have to listen to these guys, you know, because mm-hmm. players were like, man, oh, eh. I've, I've dealt with coaching. I don't trust coaches. They didn't trust authority. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I won't name names. There was a boy that I coached on one of Carson's teams who clearly had some authority issues. And you can't get through to that. That takes time. Yeah. I mean, he he never if I if I coached him in any particular way, like especially he would it was a basketball team. And he basically was thought if I'm past half court, I'm shooting it. And I would say that's not a good shot. But the next time you take that shot, I'm taking you out. And I'd have to follow up and do it. And he just would stew. There was no getting through. And that's a that's a not a great analogy, but you know what I'm saying. There was a team full of guys that they, they'd been burned. Steer Parade wore the chain around his neck half the time. Yeah. And that team got going later in the yeah, year. Yeah. You know? Well, they got confidence. It's got some trust. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was it was it was, it was a build. Assuming that this schedule does hold, people asking this uh, yesterday or whatever, I just will mention this quickly. Um, should the Masters take place in November? It's the week of the Ole Miss Arkansas game. Um they picked a pretty good week of a bunch of crap games, essentially. It probably was a factor in this, if you want to be honest. Um, I guess your best game is Tennessee-Georgia that week. Um, LSU plays South Carolina. State plays Kentucky. A&M plays Vanderbilt. Alabama has their uh, their UT Martin game. Auburn has UMass in this uh, in this as well. So that's the week, should the Masters take place in November, that they would be played. So I think it probably gets played, honestly. Oh, I do too. I think – I still think um – I still think I'm, I'm my prediction that I'm holding to is a late start to the football season. I see in our live stream. I haven't seen this anywhere that there's been talk of potentially doing game day at Augusta National. Yeah, and here's I saw some people talk about this yesterday. Shows like game day are so built around the event and the fans and the spectacle. That I think for college football to work, you've got to wait until you can have fans in the stands. I don't think, I don't think people are being completely honest with themselves if they say, "Oh yeah, that product on the field, I'll just watch it. No cheerleaders, no dance girls, no no band, no fans, no emotion, no noise." I don't. I don't think that would go over as well as people think it would when they say, I just want football. Yeah, I get that. I'm being careful here because I don't want to burn a source. The TV people don't want that. Mm -hmm. They don't think the product would be sustainable past about one week. They think they could do about one week of that. Yeah. And then people go, wait a minute, this isn't very good. And yeah, you'd have good games, but it's not like the NFL where most every game's pretty good. In college, you get a lot of get a lot of blowouts. You get a lot of mismatches. You think about think about how boring 
Alabama, New Mexico State is now. Imagine Alabama, New Mexico State when there's no band. Mm. There's no noise. There's just whistles. No one's watching that. Yeah. So Appreciate Jared for uh, joining us today. Again, we'll have Mackenzie Salmon on the show tomorrow to talk about what uh, she's dealing with in, uh, in New York and the like. So uh, we'll talk to her tomorrow. We'll give you an update on scheduling as we know it. We're going to shift some times around here pretty soon as, uh, as well. So we'll follow up with that and let you know. So appreciate everybody hanging out, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.